Hey, if you have your Bible today, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, I invite you to go there, whether it's a paper Bible or uh, if you've got it on your electronic devices, uh, go to Revelation chapter 3. If you do have the Bible app on your phone, just as a quick reminder, uh, you can always click on the events tab and then there's always an event uh, right here at Hillside Missionary Church. You can just click on that and then follow along with all the sermon notes and actually all of the information as well that you'd find in your paper bulletin. Revelation chapter 3, uh, we've been talking about a sermon series that we've been going through and we've been talking about how to be the church that God created us to be. Well, one of the ways that we've been doing that is looking at these seven messages that Jesus has in right at the beginning of the book of Revelation. Jesus has these messages to these churches. These are real life churches. They're not pretend churches. These were real life churches. Jesus has a message for them. And then at the end of it, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. And so this is not just a message that's applicable only to that church in that day 2,000 years ago. This is applicable for us today as well. So we're going to look at the last one. This is number seven, and this is probably the most uh, famous message uh, of all of these seven messages uh, that we have here in the book of Revelation. Uh, this is the church in Laodicea, if you're familiar with it. If you've been in uh, church for any amount of time, you know about this lukewarm church. We're going to take a look at it here in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. This is what it says. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I want to just pause there real quickly. Uh, we say Amen all the time. And if you're not familiar with that, that's literally a transliteration from the Hebrew. And it just means truly or so be it. Uh, if you were a teenager from 2003, you would translate it true that. OK, it's just saying this is true. And so what Jesus is saying is he's saying the words of the truth. Jesus calls himself the truth. And he continues and he says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would you or would that you were either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. For, I, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, Blind and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Hey, before we talk about what this means for our lives today, as always, uh, let's just go before God. Let's ask him for his help with that. Pray with me, if you will. Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you for your word. That is good. It's perfect. It's true. We could rely on it. And Father, you just haven't put us here with no, no guidance, no nothing. You've given us your word here. You've told us how we are to live our lives, how you designed us to live. Father, I pray that we as individuals would take that seriously, that the message of the cross wouldn't be one that, man, we think about once or twice and we just move on from. But God, that it would be constantly on our minds. I pray that we as a church would be the church that you created us to be. 
that we would take these messages that you gave to real life churches thousands of years ago, that we take it to heart, and that we would apply this today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever gotten down a YouTube rabbit hole? You know what I'm talking about on YouTube? Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll search something in the search bar, and you'll start watching a video on something, and then it suggests another video. And you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So you'll click on it, and then you'll suggest another video. And you're like, oh, that's actually really interesting. I want to hear that. And, and then you'll another one and another one. And then suddenly it's like hours down the road or days down the road. And you're like, man, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos on this. Um, we are redoing the church offices back here. Uh, many I've told many of you guys about this. But the Christian Foster Agency, Josiah White's, that rents out uh, part of our building needed to expand. So we gave them some of our offices. We moved our offices, the church offices, into these uh, little, I call them closets or dungeons, off to the side. We're redoing them so they're no longer closet dungeons, so they're actual offices. Uh, but part of that, I needed to refinish some wood. Now, if you are a woodworker today, you know that there is a huge, huge uh, span of finishes that you can choose for wood. And this is what has led down me this weird YouTube rabbit trail. Because if you go down the finish, the wood finishing aisle at Menards or Lowe's or Home Depot, you will have about an infinite amount of choices. And you have a huge spectrum. You have the spectrum of these natural, it's all natural, it's food safe, man, and it's this perfect old school way of doing the wood. Or you have the other side of the spectrum of this is liquid plastic in a bottle and it will withstand sun and rain and everything you put at this, including your cold drink that you set on it and it leaves a little ring, right? Okay, so you have this whole spectrum. And what I've found is by listening to these YouTube videos that you have people on either side. You have the people that say, I'm going to withstand anything and I'm going to put this liquid plastic and metal over my wood. Or you have these all natural kind of food safe kind of options. And then you have some products in the middle. And what I found is nobody likes the products in the middle. And no one likes, you know, it's like the, the mixture of kind of the food safe, but there's a little polyurethane in there as well, right? Like we're kind of mixing these. Nobody likes these. And as I read this in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus tells this church, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold, and I spit you out of my mouth. And as I think about this, I think about that, that these, this church is just in the middle. It's lukewarm. It's, it's, it's neither hot, it's neither cold. In fact, Jesus says this, I would rather that you would be hot or cold. It's difficult where you are. It's difficult where you sit currently. And Jesus says this, I spit you out of my mouth because you're neither hot nor cold. Literally, the Greek translation of spit you out of my mouth, today we would say it's vomiting. It's violent spitting out of your mouth. We've all had those instances where you eat something, and I'll spare you the details, but for me, it's hard-boiled eggs, right? And I, today, even today, I will never... I, I can't stand the smell of a hard-boiled egg. Again, I'll spare you the details because it's almost lunchtime. But, man, it was not good. We've all had that situation, right, where you eat something and you're like, nope, nope, this is not, this is not coming into my body. I will not eat this. It's getting out of my mouth. And Jesus says that about this church. And he said, it's disgusting. It's not good. It's interesting uh, I'll give you a little bit of background about the church of Laodicea. This city of, of, of Laodicea, um, they were a rich city, but they didn't have any water. 
And so they would have to pipe these ancient pipes, these aqueducts, uh, would have to, they'd have to pipe in their water from different cities around them. One of the cities would give them, get their water from a cold spring, and then they would ship it in off this aqueduct. Another one of the city that would give the aqueduct uh, or the water through the aqueduct to Laodicea was a hot spring. But the problem is, by the time it got to the city, it was miles away. And so by the time it got to Laodicea, both the hot spring and the cold spring water was now lukewarm water. And nobody liked the temperature of the water. This is a very rich city. It's a very high-end city. They had everything they wanted except cold or hot water coming to them. Jesus is using this because he understands that they get what this means to want to spit this out of their mouth. Jesus is saying, this is how you are to me. Now, here's the crazy part about this. It says, for you say, I am rich. Remember, it's, it's a rich city that they prospered. You say that I need nothing. And look at this, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, part of the reason that this city was so rich is because they had two major exports. One of them was this black wool from sheep. It was a very fancy wool. Uh, I'm not a fancy person. I get my clothes from Old Navy. But they're, uh, think about like Gucci or uh, what? Are, spit out some other brands for me. What's another good brand? L- Ralph Lauren, is that a good brand? I don't know. I've never heard about Mike. I see women walking around with Michael Kors. Is that a thing? I'm getting some ladies that nod their head yes. Okay, think those type of clothes, okay? These are high-end clothes. This is not your old navy type of clothes. This is this black wool. It's very fine. And so they had this very, very good export. They would, uh, they would sell it for a lot of money. Another export they had was, and this is actually still used today, a version of this, but it's an eye salve. It's an ointment for eyes that you would use, and it would actually restore blindness in certain circumstances. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I know you think you're rich because of this export, because of these exports that you have, but look look at this. You're actually poor, you're blind, even though they thought they had the antidote to blindness, and you're naked, even though they had the nicest, finest clothing that they would actually export and sell. Jesus is using these as word images to say, you don't understand where you are. Look at this. He literally says, you don't realize it. You don't realize that you're lukewarm. Uh, I got to be honest with you, church. Um, I think that out of all the seven letters to the churches that Jesus has, out of all these seven messages, The church to Laodicea is most applicable to our culture today. Not necessarily to our specific church body, Hillside here, but to our culture. I think it's the most most applicable. You see, Laodicea said that they were rich. In America, we're rich. In fact, uh, I went on Amazon this morning and I ordered a product and it'll be here between 5 and 10 o'clock. I couldn't believe it. I was like, it's coming today? It's not even like one-day shipping. It's like same-day shipping. That was a common item. So I, I think that's why. But still, I, I just needed to get the point of cross to say, man, we're rich. We have everything we want at our fingertips. We have everything we want. We have money. Even if we're struggling financially just living in this country, we have a lot of resources that we have at our fingertips. And we can fall into the same thing where we say that we're rich, And yet we don't realize how poor, 
how pitiable, how, how blind, how naked we are. So here's what I want to do for us today. Before we get into what the rest of the message that Jesus has to this church, I want to talk about seven signs of lukewarm faith. We're going to do this Jeff Foxworthy style. You might have a lukewarm faith if. So the first sign that I have here, the first, and this is not all of uh, my specific ones. I didn't compile this list, all of my own thoughts. I kind of compiled this from several different scholars who have compiled their own lists. Uh, But I put this together because I thought it was most applicable to us. But the first sign that your faith might be lukewarm is if you're spiritually fluid. Now, what I mean by that is you're saying, well, I'm, I, you might say, man, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I believe Jesus died for my sins. But, you know, those people over there who they're really trying to live their life well and, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're doing their thing. And maybe they believe in karma and maybe they believe in doing some good things that outweigh their bad. And, you know, that's not the worst thing in the world. And that's being spiritually fluid. You see, the world would look at, at, at faith and say, well, you know, as long as you're, 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 you're very devout and uh, you, you're doing good things, then faith is kind of like a mountain. And there's different pathways up the mountain. But as long as you get yourself to the top, well, God's there. And, but that's not the message of the Bible. You see, Jesus himself says this in John fourteen six. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's an old argument that would say Jesus is either a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's Lord. But he can't be anything else. He's either a lunatic, he's a crazy man, and he's just spewing off crazy things. He's a straight-up liar, which means he knows what he's saying, but it's wrong. Or he's Lord. Because he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And if you maybe kind of go into this, well, you know, I, I just want to be a good person and I want to have peace in my life and all these other things, then you might, you might be spiritually fluid. But what Jesus is saying is, that, no, 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 I'm the bedrock. I'm the cornerstone of faith. It starts and it ends with me. I am the truth. And the more we get off of that, the more lukewarm our faith can become. The second sign of a lukewarm faith is that you're rarely led by the Holy Spirit. When you are a believer, when you accept Jesus Christ in your life, when you surrender your life to Him and make Him your Lord and your Savior, you get the Holy Spirit in your life as well. This is a transaction that happens instantly. It's not something where you surrender your life, you give your life to Christ, and then down the road you accept the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. It happens right here and right now when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you surrender your life to Him, you also have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and the Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And if you're rarely led by the Holy Spirit, if you're rarely convicted of your sins, if you're rarely led by Him to go out and have a conversation or go out and do something because God is calling you to do that, then your faith might be lukewarm. The next sign of a lukewarm faith that I have for you is that your beliefs aren't dictated by God's Word. Again, this is similar to having spiritually fluid uh, a, a, a life, but when your beliefs aren't dictated by God's word, they're mainly dictated by culture or what you think is the best. 
And the problem with that is God has already said, no, 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 I've given you my thoughts. I've given you my beliefs that you should have. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this about Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God's given us what we need already. But when we let culture, and when we, when we let, oh, just I just think that this is good because um, maybe people aren't hurting anyone. Or, you know, uh, it just feels right to me. We put ourselves in the place of God. And God's already said, no, 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 I've given you my word. I've, I've given this to you. By the way, I want to pause real quick and just give you a quick caveat. I don't give you this list to guilt trip you. By now, halfway through the list, you might be feeling a little guilty. And you might be saying, man, I, I, I find myself guilty of, of some of those things. I don't give these things to guilt trip you. I'm your pastor. I love you. And I love you too much for you to have a lukewarm faith. And I love you too much to fall into the same uh, situation that Laodicea fell into, that their faith was lukewarm and they didn't realize it. And so I give you this list to open your eyes to say, man, my faith is lukewarm. Jesus has something better for me. So let's, let's continue here. Uh, <clears throat> the fourth sign I have for you is that you don't take sin seriously. Like I said, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get the Holy Spirit. And then when we sin, because we're never perf perfect on this side of eternity, we're never perfect and without sin in our lives. We are sinful people. However, we need to take that sin seriously. And we know that Jesus Christ covers the, 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 the cost for that sin, that His sacrifice covers our sin and that we have forgiveness in Jesus, but we don't want to err so far on the other side of that where we're saying, oh, well, I can just go sin. I can just do whatever I want because Jesus' sacrifice covers that up. Because there's a reality that sin will continue to separate you from Christ. Sin will continue to separate you from God. And if we're not careful with it and we just rely on Jesus' sacrifice, eventually that separation can grow deep, and we can start walking away from Jesus. 1 John 3, 6 puts it like this. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. That keeps on verb in the Greek, in the original language here, is meant to say it's habitual. There's a, there's a habitual sin going on here, and you keep on doing that over and over and over and over and over again. And what can happen is when we continue to do that, and maybe we feel a conviction at first and we kind of ignore it, that conviction will grow quieter and quieter and quieter in our life because our hearts will become hardened to the Lord. So take sin seriously. Repent of it. And Jesus offers you His forgiveness, and we wouldn't want to go so far to say that, well, I need to repent of every single sin, and if I don't, by the end of my life, and I die, and I have one unrepented sin, then I'm going to hell. And We don't need to take it that far either, but we do need to take it seriously, lest we run the risk of having a lukewarm faith. The fifth sign is that you don't take a church seriously. As we talked about earlier on in this sermon series, church is God's plan A for the Christian. There's no plan B. 
He, de- he developed this system that we are to be involved in a local church body, that we are to be encouraged by others, that we are to encourage other believers, that we are to gather together to worship the Lord, to take the Lord's Supper together. And when we don't do that, we miss out on the way that God designed our lives to be after we give our lives to Christ. And because of that, our faith can become lukewarm. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Church should be a priority in your life where you're saying, I'm showing up, I'm invested, I'm going to worship together, I'm going to serve, I'm going to encourage others, I'm going to be encouraged in my faith. Let me tell you, being a Christian in this life is hard enough. It's difficult. It's near impossible to do it without the church. And so if we neglect the church, if we miss out on church, what can happen is that our faith can very easily become lukewarm. Here's a sixth sign for you. You find your security in yourself. This church, remember, in verse 17 in Revelation chapter 3, this this letter that we're talking about today, it says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. This was the attitude of this church. And if we're not careful as well, we can have this attitude where we say, I don't really need God. I'm doing pretty good in my life. And um, sure, I'm still a Christian, but um, I'm doing pretty well for myself. I've got a good job. I've got a good income. This is, uh, this is, things are going well for me, and I don't really need the Lord. And maybe we don't necessarily vocalize that or think that, but by the way that we live our lives, it can show that. The Pharisees had this same uh, kind of mentality In fact, Jesus talks about it in Luke chapter 18. It said, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Look at this. It's me, 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 me. Look at what I can do, God. That's that's that attitude of the Pharisee. And if we're not careful, we can have that attitude too. Well, I'm so good, and I've made it. I've made it in my faith. I don't struggle like those other people struggle. Uh, I don't have any addictions. I'm not a murderer. I don't have my family life look like a mess. I've made it. Look at me. And the problem is we can parade ourselves around like that, and we can miss out on the need that we all have for Christ. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. We all need Jesus just the same. We're all fallen. We're all sinful people. And we need Christ's sacrifice all the same in our lives. And if we're not careful, we can start relying on ourselves, finding our security in ourselves instead of Jesus. And that's a surefire way that your faith is going to be really, really lukewarm, if not non-existent altogether. Here's my last sign for you, is that you have no witness You have no witness. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28, to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you know this is the Great Commission. This is not just applicable to Jesus' disciples 2,000 years ago. This is applicable for us today. This is a command for all Christians to go out to make disciples. And we, when we make faith all about ourselves, we can lose that witness 
and we can become lukewarm in our faith. So as you look over these, and you're saying, man, I feel like I've been a little lukewarm in my faith. Or, or maybe you're looking at these and you're saying, man, I'm not a believer today, and the only experience I've ever had with any believers have been lukewarm believers. If that's the case for you today, I just want to say that's not the way that God intended it to be, and I'm sorry. God intended for people to have a lively relationship with Him where they have a witness, where they are talking with Jesus constantly, and then they're not finding their security in themselves, but in Christ and Christ alone. And church is a priority for them, and they're taking their own sin seriously, and they're not parading themselves around like these perfect people. And they're not adding to God's Word. They're not taking away from God's Word. They're just going with what Jesus has already put before us. And they're led by the Holy Spirit. And they're not spiritually fluid, but they are solid on their biblical beliefs. This is, this is the way that Jesus designed Christians to be. It's a both and. And a lot of Christians, they want to just have the grace. They want to just have the truth. And if you've interacted with one of these Christians, that's not Christianity. Christians never interacted with are people like that. First of all, I want to say I'm sorry. And second of all, I want to say Jesus has something better. There's something better out there. So what do you do if that's the case? What do you do if maybe you're looking at that list and you're saying, man, I feel a little lukewarm. I feel like my faith right now it's not great. And maybe I didn't realize it until you started saying about these things on the list. You started talking about these things. But I'm feeling today like maybe my faith is lukewarm. Or maybe things are just dry. and Maybe things just aren't great in between me and the Lord. We talked a few weeks ago about a church that struggled with a, a dry relationship with Jesus, right? They're, they're just not led by the Holy Spirit. They're just kind of stuck doing the same routine over and over and over. This is similar to that. What do you do when you feel like your faith is lukewarm? Jesus has several things that he wants this church to do. He says, I counsel you therefore, and he starts by saying this, to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be Rich. Again, he's playing on this idea that Laodicea is a rich city. And he's saying, hey, I want you to do certain things. I want you first and foremost to buy from me gold refined by fire. Now you might be asking yourself, um, I didn't realize Jesus had a storefront that I could go to and I could give him money and he would give me gold in return. That's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, what he's saying here is there's a, a biblical concept of refining gold and what gold refining looks like. In fact, if you uh, were to dig up, if you were uh, involved in like the gold rush or something like that, uh, you would go out to California or out west, wherever you were, and you're looking for a little nugget of gold. It's like a rock that's gold color. But this isn't really super valuable to you. It is valuable. It's worth something. But instantly, and this is what I find interesting, most things that people dig up and they look for uh, and they, they covet after, they don't just throw it in the fire and beat it with a hammer, right? Like if I go to the store and I'm looking for an iPhone, the last thing I want to do is throw it in a fire and start beating it with a hammer, right? That's a surefire way of not having an iPhone any longer, right? But with gold, what they're doing is they're saying, no, I want that. I'm looking for that nugget and then I'm going to mold it and I'm going to shape it into what I want it to be. 
And Jesus is saying, I need you to do that because there's a biblical concept that that's what God does for each and every one of us. He's seeking us out and he's taking us just as we are, just as that nugget of gold comes out of the ground and that, that, that prospector is looking at that and he's going, yes, I found gold. God is looking at you and he's saying, hey, I want a relationship with you just as you are. You see, many Christians, they get it backwards. They start witnessing to people and they say, hey, look. and Jesus is giving this word picture to this church and he's saying, hey, I want you to be molded to my likeness. So what do you do if your faith is lukewarm? First and foremost, allow God to mold you into his likeness. Psalm 66 puts it like this. You, O oh God, have tested us. You've tried us as silver is tried. Proverbs 17 says the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold. And the Lord tests hearts. It's like this idea that God is going to mold you and conform you to his image. 1 Peter 1.7 says, so that the testing genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is what it looks like to be molded to God's image. It's hard. In fact, oftentimes it's really, really difficult. Just like that piece of gold is thrown into a fire and then beat with a hammer over and over and over and over again, so our faith is tested over and over. And God has situation after situation after situation where slowly over time He's molding us and conforming us to His image. And Jesus says, first and foremost, I need you to have that level of faith. I need you to have that level of faith where you're saying, hey, I'm okay handing my life over to you, Christ. I'm okay saying no to my own preferences. I'm okay saying no to what I want my life to look like so that, Jesus, I can look more like you. The next thing he says to this church is he's saying, I want you to buy white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Again, he's playing on this, this idea that they had this very, very fine black wool clothing that they would sell. He's saying, yeah, actually, you're naked, though. That's worth nothing in my kingdom. He's saying, I need you to have a white garment so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. What is he saying? Well, he's saying this white garment, uh, it, it's pure, it's perfect, and it defines who you are. Think about it like this. Um, uh, some of your job, it, it, it may involve having a uniform, right? And I know not everybody's job does. Uh, I made these uniforms myself. They say Hillside Missionary Church, and I really like them. And a lot of you make fun of me, and I don't even care. I just think they're comfy, and I like them, so I'm going to wear them. I, a lot of you are smiling right now because you've said those similar things, right? And so, but what does a shirt do for you? Maybe you wear a shirt at work that says your name, and it says the name of your company. It defines who you are, Right? And so it says, hey, I got a problem with my furnace. The guy comes in. He's got a, a shirt with his name and the company's name right on it. I'm going to let him in my house because I have a problem. It shows who he is. It shows his identity. And Jesus is saying, I need you to have your identity in me, in Christ alone. The second thing you need to do if your faith is lukewarm, simply this. Find your identity in Christ because it changes what we do. 
When you find your identity in Christ, suddenly that sin that you've been habitually addicted to over and over and over and over and over again, and you've tried it, you've tried all the behavioral management ideas that you could possibly do, and you, you've tried quitting, and you say, I'm going to pull myself up from my bootstraps, and I'm going I'm to try really hard to quit this, and then it just doesn't work. It's because you're not finding your identity in Christ. When you say, I'm going to do that because Jesus told me not to do it. That's good. That's good-hearted, right? But oftentimes it doesn't work because we don't find our identity in Christ. And instead, what we ought to say is, I'm not going to do that because God's made me new. I'm a new creation. I'm a new person. And this person that God has created me to be doesn't do those sins. 2 Corinthians puts it like this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. First John puts it like this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Look at this, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Look at that idea of an identity. God is calling you his daughter. God is calling you his son. He's made you new. And so now sin isn't just about behavioral management. Sin is about, man, my identity has changed. And so I'm not involved in this anymore because Jesus has changed me. Ephesians chapter 4 says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deep, deceitful deeds, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That word holiness is to be set apart from God. This is the idea that you've been made new. Your identity is in Jesus. Your shirt says Jesus on it. What else do you do if you're lukewarm in your faith? Well, Jesus says, not only do I want you to buy from me this uh, gold refined by fire and these white garments, but also, and this is interesting, salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Again, Jesus is using this word imagery with this city. Remember, they had the ointment, the salve for eyes to cure blindness. They thought they had it going on. And Jesus is actually saying, yeah, but you're blind because you don't see the truth. I need you to see the truth. Buy from me this salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. What else do you do if you find your faith is lukewarm today? Ask God to open up your eyes. Because this church... They didn't realize that they were lukewarm. And again, many times, we can be in that situation. We can be in that situation where we're saying, man, I go to church every week, I read my Bible, I pray, my faith is good. And I'm sure there's plenty of people in Laodicea, the church, who said, my faith's good, it's fine. I go to church, I pray, I read my Bible, my life's not a mess, right? I don't, I'm not involved in some kind of crazy sins, I'm fine. But on the inside, their hearts were hardened towards God. They were lukewarm in their faith. They didn't realize it. Ask God to open up your eyes. Ask God to test your faith. 1 Corinthians says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Sometimes in, in, in life and in our faith, we're not going to understand something of faith because it's folly to us, because we don't understand it, because we're far away from God. John 3.3 says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, and this is a good example of this, he's saying, Amen, Amen. In other words, this is so be it, so be it. I say to you, unless one is born again, look at this, he cannot see the kingdom 
of God. Ask God to help you see. Ask God to help you open your eyes. Three more, or, uh, four more things I want to point out real quickly before we run out of time. Revelation uh, 3.19, Jesus continues on and he says, Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. That's interesting. Jesus is saying, I discipline you just as a loving father disciplines his son or his daughter. Not in a mean way, not in a a way that's controlling and overbearing and who just wants to see the Father's way happen and so he's going to do anything that he can. But what Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, I love you too much. I love you too much to have you continue down the road that you are going down. And so there's going to be some discipline involved. If you feel like your faith is lukewarm, realize this, that God disciplines those he loves. And you might say, this is kind of out of left field. Why, why is Jesus bringing this up? Well, maybe you've been through some discipline before. Maybe you started to wander, and so God said, nope, I'm going to close that door in your life. I'm going to close that door, and it's going to be like discipline in your life. And maybe your response out of that was, man, that stinks. What is God doing? What's going on here? Well, I don't know why this is happening. And so what happened was you started to walk away from God and your heart was hardened and you became lukewarm in your faith. Instead, you can respond to God's discipline by simply saying, I don't know why you're doing this, God. Maybe you're trying to teach me something. I'm just going to, to, to follow you the best way that I possibly can. Think of the Israelites. They were out of Egypt. God did this amazing thing. They're out of Egypt. They're wandering through the desert. And what are the first thing that they do? They start complaining. Hey, at least we had food and water back in Egypt. Why don't you put me back in slavery, God, so I can have that? And God's saying, no, 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 no. I have something so, so much better. And yeah, I know the journey's going to be difficult to get there, but I have something so much better for you. And it may involve discipline. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves and chastises every sin whom he receives. Proverbs chapter 3 puts it simply like this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, or uh, the son in whom he delights. Later on in Proverbs it says this, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. I know it's in the Bible. You can't yell at me. It says you're stupid if you hate reproof. So love God's discipline. What else do you do? Well, let's continue on in Jesus' message here. At the end of verse 19, he says, So be zealous and repent. That word zealous there, it's really interesting. Earlier on it said you're neither hot nor cold. That word zealous literally means boiling, piping hot. Jesus says, I need you to be hot in your faith. I need you to be on fire, to be passionate. And you might say, man, I don't feel like I got it in me today. In this season of life, I don't feel like I have it in me to be passionate for Christ. I get up, I get the kids ready, we get them off to school, I get to work, we pick up the kids, we make dinner, we fold some laundry, and we go to bed, and you push repeat on Tuesday, right? Sometimes it just feels like that, and you're saying, how can I be passionate? Simply do this. Ask God for His help. Ask God to give you passion in your faith. Ask God to set some fire underneath you. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you can just put repeat on Tuesday and go back to church every Sunday morning 
fill your cup up a little bit and use that to get through and eke your way through the rest of the week. Christ died on the cross to save you from your sins, that you might be passionate for Him, that you might have a lively relationship with Him, that you might have the attitude that it talks about in Colossians 3.23, to say, whatever you do, work heartily as the Lord and not for men. Psalm 63 puts it like this, O God, You are my God, I earnestly seek You, my soul thirsts for You, my flesh faints for You, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I want, to ask you, I want you to ask yourself simply this. What would it look like in your faith to have that attitude? To earnestly seek after the Lord. To say that your soul thirsts for Him. Or like how it says it in Psalm 84, that my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. What would it look like in your life to be passionate like that? To sing, to long after for Jesus. To say, I want to spend time with you. I want to talk about you. I want to show your love to those around me. What would it look like for your passion to be reignited for Christ? Two more things. I want to point these out real quickly. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. There's a famous painting of Jesus knocking at the door. Maybe you've seen it before, maybe you haven't, but it's talking about this verse that Jesus, he's waiting at the door. He's, he's saying, hey, I'm just waiting for you to open the door. Scripture tells us this, that it is the Lord's will, 2 Peter 3.9 tells us this, it's the Lord's will for everyone to be saved. Sometimes we can feel like we're too far gone. Like, man, I, I've sinned and God doesn't want me. And maybe the enemy, man, maybe he's even convinced you that you're too far gone. Jesus doesn't want you. He doesn't want anything to do with you. Or maybe, yeah, he wants you to come to church on Sunday morning and just be quiet and not do anything else. But this is what I want to tell you today, and it's what Jesus is telling this church. He's waiting for you to open the door. Why? Because you're not too far gone. Jesus loves you, and he wants a relationship with you. And, oh yeah, by the way, just as that prospector digs up that chunk of gold that we talked about earlier, Jesus is waiting. And he's saying, hey, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to come to me. And yeah, it's a mess. Yeah, it needs to be refined. Yeah, you need to be conformed to the Lord's image. But Jesus is saying, you just come as you are. I want you right now. Again, 2 Peter 3.9 tells us this, that it is the Lord's will that uh, no one should perish and that all should come and reach repentance. Romans 5.8 puts it like this, that God shows us His love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 2.2 says He is the propitiation for our sins or the payment for our sins. And not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And we ought to have this attitude as Christians to say, Jesus, He died not only for me, but He died for that person I really don't like. He died for that person who's involved in man things I really do not like. He died for them too. And that person needs Jesus just as much as I need Jesus. Let me tell you, there is no quicker way to soften a heart in my experience, there's no quicker, quicker way to soften a heart than to simply remember Jesus died for my sins. He died for other sins and other people. Man, they need Jesus just as much as me. You take that to heart and it'll soften the hardest heart. What else do you do? Last thing here. 
Jesus tells us this in verse 21. He says, The one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat with my Father on his throne. What's he doing? He's doing something he does for all of these churches, all throughout these letters. He will give a picture of what life looks like in eternity. And he gives them this picture to say, hey, listen, you're going to rule with me in eternity. What do you do? You live like you're heaven bound. And you you remember what eternity looks like. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, we will also, or He will also deny us. Philippians 3.20 reminds us that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Christ Jesus. You ever feel like, man, this, 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 this place, the earth, it's just kind of messy, and it's just kind of like, man, why do people keep doing that? And you just kind of feel discontent, feel discontent with the leaders. You feel discontent with where the world is today. You feel discontent and you're like, man, I just, I don't like what's happening right now, right here, right now, what people are doing. It's because your citizenship is not of this world. Your citizenship is in heaven. And Jesus is saying, there will be a day where there's no more crying. There's no more tears. There's no more cancer. There's no more heartache. There's no more relational strife. There's no more financial hardships. There's just life with me. And we can live like we're heaven bound. To say, yeah, man, things are really hard right now. But I am going to choose not to respond in a way that would make my faith lukewarm or my heart hardened but to respond in such a way that I choose Jesus. I'm choosing Him to mold me to His likeness. I'm choosing to find my identity in Christ. I'm asking for God to open up my eyes so that I can see this and realize that, yeah, there may be discipline, but it's only to bring me closer to Him. And I'm going to ask God to ignite my passion under me and to realize I'm not too far gone. Jesus wants a relationship with me. This is what it looks like to live heaven-bound. This is what it looks like to combat a lukewarm faith. Church, if we're not careful, because of the culture we live in today, the default is that our faith becomes lukewarm. The default is that our faith, man, it is just going to become hardened, and we'll get into this weird cycle, and we'll get into this this weird thing where we're just showing up to church, we're doing these rope prayers, and it's just, there's nothing to it. But if we do these things, if we take what Jesus said seriously to the church in Laodicea, if we take this seriously, then we're the believers that God created us to be. We're the church that God created us to be. But it's hard work, and it takes intentionality. And I want to ask you this. What would it look like for your faith if you did that? If you put in the hard work, if you put in that intentionality, if your passion was reignited, what would your faith look like? Would it look like it does today? Would it look like you're living your life the way that you are now? Or would it look completely differently? And if the answer to that for you is that it would look completely differently, spend some time with Jesus. There's some reflection questions on the back of your outline today in your bulletin, or if you're following along on the app, they're there too. But I just encourage you, man, if you're saying, man, I feel like my faith is kind of lukewarm. I feel like I kind of lost my passion. 
Spend some time with Christ. Spend some time reflecting on His Word through those questions and give your life to Christ and say, hey, I find my identity in you. I realize I'm not too far gone. You love me and I'm here for you, Christ. Help me soften my heart. And if you've never done that, if you've never given your life to Christ and you're saying, man, I've never seen that. And I've heard about what Jesus has done for me, but I've never seen true Christianity in that way. I've never seen someone be passionate for Christ. I've never seen someone be full of grace and full of truth. Today's your day. Today's your day to say, Jesus, you got my life. I'm all yours, and I'm going to be on fire for you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, no matter where people are today, I pray that you would ignite our passion for you. That if today is someone's first day to accept you, Jesus, that they would give their life to you and they wouldn't settle for a routine with you. They wouldn't settle for knowledge about you, but they would only settle for a passionate, lively, vibrant relationship with you. And for God, God the, the, for the people who, who, man, who've come today and they've said, man, my, my faith is just lukewarm. I feel like my passion is gone. I'm just hitting the repeat button over and over and over again. God, would you reignite us? Would you give us passion? Would you put a fire underneath us to say, man, I know that things have been hard, but I am going to live for you the best way that I possibly can, Jesus. In the midst of the mundaneness, in the midst of the routines, Jesus, I give my life wholly to you. And I give it all to you. Jesus, help us to do that. Help us to do that today. And as we go back to our lives in our neighborhoods and our workplaces tomorrow, Jesus, I pray that this wouldn't just be something that we talked about on Sunday morning and we left at church but it would be something that we bring with us over and over, day after day, year after year, Father, that you would give us passion. Holy Spirit, conform us to your image, mold us to your likeness, convict us of our sins, and call us to build your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.